0: Hey, I'm Asher.
1: And I'm Jackson.
0: And what you're about to listen to is strictly confidential.
1: A little sip of coffee. Yeah, quizzicals. Hey Asher, how's your week been? Better than normal. Better than usual.
0: I'm not. There's no evidence of my time at the beach because I'm not any percent tanner than I was when I left. But, uh... I'm running on lots
1: of vitamin D energy. Is that what they put in the the sunny drink? Yes, it is. The power of the sun? Yes, the power of the sun. So I have a question for you. I, in the last two weeks, saw this scary movie twice. And I'll say the name of the scary movie in a second. But I first wanted to ask, are there movies that you absolutely love that you do not recommend to people? Ooh, that's a great question. I think you're gonna
0: talk about Midsummer, but or Midsommar. I don't know how to say that. I so, think that's the one you're going to get to.
1: Yeah. So I I, I was going to talk about midsummer, and I went to a Q&A with the writer and director, Ari Aster, where he calls it Midsommar, and I've listened to podcasts where they call it Midsommar. But every time I've said that to somebody, they've said, do you mean midsummer?" And so I'm going to call it midsummer because, A, it's easier to say, and then, B, I feel way less pretentious doing it. Kind of like the... Most essential drawing tool as a cartoonist in a digital age is a Wacom tablet, even though the actual pronunciation is Wacom. It's kind of like how Barack Obama made the executive decision that the word GIF is spelled or is pronounced GIF, even though the creator calls it GIF. It's similar to how the Uno Twitter account thinks it's it can change rules just because it created the game. To get back to your first question, I think maybe.
0: Probably films like Snowpiercer.
1: Yeah, so I I saw Snowpiercer, but I saw it the day it came to Netflix, which that had a weird release, right? It was in theaters and simultaneously on Netflix.
0: Yeah, probably it's a very indie movie, pretty low budget, so
1: I can see them doing something like that. And it has Captain America as the main guy, right? Sure does. So yeah, I definitely enjoyed that movie, um, and don't remember much of the much of a reason to not share it with people. But Midsummer, I. I used to think every movie was a mo- Every movie I liked is a movie that Shannon, my wife, would also like. I used to think every movie was always going to be like that. And if Shannon didn't like it, then I wasn't going to like it, and vice versa. And then I started watching the John Wick movies, and I don't think that
0: you can quite hardline like the the term sh- uh, chick flick has kind of fallen out of uh, the vernacular because designating movies for men or women is obviously an antiquated idea. John Wick movies though, those are for the fellas.
1: I also don't like the idea of chick flick movies because like if we're splitting movies into two categories, how come they get golden films like Mamma Mia and Legally Blonde and we get Fast and the Furious. So I watched Midsummer, and I will not spoil it at all. And if you are a listener and you go and see it, if you liked it, you can blame that on me. But if you didn't like it, take this as my warning. I went with four other people Two of us loved it. The other three left in such a such a hateful spirit that I thought there was a chance they wouldn't be my friends anymore. <laughs> that was how intense it was. I mean, it should come as no
0: surprise to anyone. Are fans of movies just for the sake of weirdness, mm-hmm. and that's part of why I like *Snowpiercer* is that it doesn't really follow a traditional like story structure.
1: Before we got on the call a second ago, we talked for fifteen minutes about the film *Dark Crystal*. Yeah, which same is, thing, which is basically what Jim Henson did before the Muppets, basically before he understood how people write stories. He just created just kind this- of
0: stream of consciousness, pure creativity, getting all the weird stuff out of the way, but putting a lot of heart and soul into it. Yeah. Uh, another good answer to your question would be like Acura, because Acura is a masterpiece and anyone who is really into film agrees. But man, it's a weird one and it's not one that you would sit your mom down to watch with.
1: So the wild thing is that my mom went to see Hereditary with my sister. And if you know anything about the movie *Midsummer* or Hereditary, it's Ari Aster has only made two feature films. And the first one was Hereditary that came out in, I think, 2017. And then this one, uh, *Midsummer*. Well, it may have come out in 2018, actually. He may have done back-to-back years. That's not as important. But Hereditary is, I think, scarier than *Midsummer*. Probably less haunting, but scarier. And my mom saw it with my sister and loved it and then showed it to my grandma, who also (laughs) loved it. Which is wild, but kind of on brand. think about like my great grandmother
0: seeing a horror movie and it's like, I lived through the Great Depression. This little doll ain't shit. Yeah. It's hereditary about a doll. That's Annabelle. And those aren't good is what I understand.
1: I think one of them is supposed to be good.
0: It's kind of telling of, telling of the state of horror movies when now you can make exactly one good horror movie and you are a household name as a director.
1: Well, it helps that the two guys doing horror the best right now, Jordan Peele and Ari Aster, are both people who came from very different backgrounds. Jordan Peele more so, but these are their first two movies and they are, I mean, you could say... You could say, yeah, this guy made one horror movie and it happened to be a good one. So it's crazy. But it also these four horror movies between Jordan Peele and Ari Aster. So Us, Get Out, Midsummer, and Hereditary. The four of those are four of the most highly regarded of the last four years. Yeah, a lot of directors
0: get their start in horror because it's it's a genre that's typically it's it's really easy to market. Because it's always just, you're going to shit your pants. Come on. And that, that's what it is every time. You know, it's always the scariest movie of the summer. And that's all you have to do to market it. And they're typically pretty low budget in terms of like special effects. You have a few monster effects. You have a few like maybe gory deaths. And then everything else is pretty basic. And it's usually, it usually takes place in one location, one spooky house.
1: It takes a lot to make a film. Too many words, it's true. I don't know what you're parodying, but I'm sure it's very funny. I was so excited to walk through the meme gallery of the Smithsonian and stand in front of the big screen showing that 12-minute masterpiece on loop. So much in the same way that a lot of the most prominent directors get their start in horror.
0: I love watching this happen. A lot of prominent United States figureheads Mm. have gotten their start in secret societies that have actually been the inspiration for several horror movies, such as The Skulls 1, 2, and 3. I don't think any of those are recommended, as well as a couple others, specifically about today's topic, The Skull and Bones Society.
1: Mm. So is this pirate related at all? I want to get this question out of the way quick.
0: Not beyond the fact that their symbol, their flag if they had one, is a skull and crossbones.
1: Is it structured like the, uh, what's it called? What's the name of the Skull and Crossbones? What's the name of the Skull and Crossbones? The Jolly Roger? Yeah. Is it structured the same way as the Jolly Roger? Exactly the same as the Jolly Roger. Oh, so it is loosely pirate related. Yeah, but they don't fly the flag over any of their buildings. Well, that would be too obvious. That would be a little obvious. That would be like the Illuminati having having a flag over their Arby's or whatever that says, hey, Illuminati here, come check us out. Secret Society. I think it would be more more like they would
0: constantly get kids knocking on their door excited to check out the Pirate Museum.
1: Yeah, that's probably... I think we could guess that it would be a mixture of the two. So when you hear the name
0: Skull and Bones Society, The Skull and Bones Society, does your mind immediately go to academia? Because it is actually a fraternal order based in Yale University in Connecticut.
1: Yeah, no, I would have gone to Zoomies before Yale as
0: my first (laughs) guess. Well, it dates, like, a lot of things at Yale and a lot of the Ivy League schools. Being, I think, the third oldest school in the United States, it goes pretty far back. And it is, in fact, the oldest fraternal order, if not the oldest order, (laughs) that, like, extracurricular group at Yale University. It was founded in 1832. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Future businessman William Huntington Russell and Alfonso Taft, who is... The secretary who would later become the secretary of war and is also the father of the 27th president, William Howard Taft. So the father of a U.S. president is one of the co-founders of this society. Okay, According to Wikipedia and a few other sources, it was founded after a dispute among Yale students debating. uh, There was there was a dispute within the Phi Beta Kappa award season. Some feelings got hurt. Russell and Taft said, we're going to start our own club and started the Order of the Skull and Bones. The first senior members being Russell, Taft, and 12 others. Alternative names being The Order and The Brotherhood of Death. So they were pretty hell-bent on getting something kind of spooky. Alternatively, the pair was reportedly inspired by Russell's recent visit to Germany and the secret societies that were then very prevalent in European academic institutions starting off actually as a spoof, a cult organization worshiping the goddess they invented,
1: Eulogia, the goddess of speech and eloquence. Kind of a weird goddess name. Seems like a weirdly feel like Eulogia would be the goddess of speaking about death, perhaps? Yeah, you would think so. I mean, it's it's a
0: eulogy, which is like an eloquent speech around someone's death. They're called the skull and bones. Okay, so that's two theories about how this fraternity this society was started but i think before we go any further we should ask the question why do we care yeah i mean other than it being a really cool name and then members of this organization referring to themselves as the Bonesmen, which is also pretty badass not gonna lie that's that would be a cool title i can see why you would want you would aspire to becoming a bonesman <laughs> If this is an organization specifically for seniors at Yale University, why should anyone outside of Yale really care? Yeah. Well, it really became prominent through its alumni. The seemingly disproportionately powerful people that have come out of this group have made people wonder, did these people create the society or did the society create these people? But there was also the... Nation, the nationwide coverage when the Skull and Bones Society were blamed for robbing graves, most notably the grave of Geronimo, the Apache warrior slash leader. His life is way too much to get into now, but I think most people will at least understand that he is an important figure.
1: I just want to make sure I'm getting this straight. The Skull and Bones Society is a fraternity loosely at Yale that got wrongly probably accused of grave robbing and so far the only reason I can see is because their name is Skull and Bones. It seems as though the claims of Geronimo's bones being
0: stolen are pretty unsubstantiated because nothing ever came of this. It was the great-grandson Harlan Geronimo. He's the one who filed this federal lawsuit against the Skull and Bones Society So that immediately gave it a little bit more clout and believability as that was coming from a family member. He claimed, I believe strongly from my heart that his spirit was never released, and he demanded that the skull be returned. As legend has it, Prescott S. Bush, the father of President George H.W. Bush, grandfather of George W. Bush, he dug up Geronimo's grave in 1918 with the help of several other bonesmen. They stole the warrior's skull and two bones to make a skull and crossbones, you see, like their logo. Okay. As well as some riding gear that was in his grave. And, and in a riding, as in horse riding? Correct. With the, riding with a D. His grave being in Fort Sill, Oklahoma. The society allegedly put the remains on display in The Tomb, which is an imposing and windowless crypt in New Haven, Connecticut, that has served as the group's headquarters. It's a completely windowless building. So no one really knows what's inside, but at the very least, Harlan Geronimo believes it's his great-grandfather's skull. Uh, This from Time Magazine. Conspiracy theories about the Skull and Bone Society are as old as the society itself. The group has been blamed for everything from the creation of the nuclear bomb, a lot of secret societies get that one, to the Kennedy assassination. A lot of secret societies get that one too. It's been aped in bad teen horror films. Along with fellow conspiracy group targets, the Freemasons and the Illuminati, it appears in The Simpsons. Even CNN has done a segment on the Prescott grave robbery saga. Hmm. But, and this is also from Time, so I can't claim, I can't claim this line, but, uh, but it pretty well mirrors my thoughts. Minus the trappings of wealth, privilege, and power, Skull and Bones could just be a laughably juvenile club for Dungeons and Dragons geeks. But its rumored alumni have made up a disproportionately large percentage of the world's most powerful leaders. So this is unlike the Freemasons, Freemasons is an exclusive club. This is exclusive. I mean, first of all, obviously, you have to be at Yale University. Yeah. Uh, Until 1992, you had to be male. That was the first time that a female was admitted into the club, which... Is pretty like 90s is pretty late for a society that has been around since 1832.
1: Yeah, that's later than the Latter Day Saints. And even then, there was there's a hard cap of 15
0: new members a year. They have to be juniors moving into their senior year, and you get one year within the society itself, and then but but you are still a lifelong member, expected to support the society through the rest of time. Mm. So. Only 15 members a year. So even though it's been around since 1832, some quick math, that's only 2,800 members over a century and a half. So out of that small group of people, there has been uh, 2,800. That is not very many. That is a tiny town. So of that tiny town, who's living in that tiny town? A lot of notable names, in addition to Bush and Taft. Other prominent men have been have subsequently joined the ranks, including George W. Bush, forty third president; John Kerry, Democratic presidential candidate and Secretary of State; actor Paul Giamatti;
1: William course, Buckley, yeah.
0: Republican commentator and editor of the National Review; McGeorge Bundy, who was the advisor to John F. Kennedy; both Supreme Court justices, Morrison Waite and Potter Stewart; Frederick Smith, who was the founder of FedEx. Ooh. Lyman Spitzer, the theoretical physicist and space telescope pioneer, and William Camp, who is the, uh, the father of American football. He yeah. was, he's, he's widely considered to, uh, he, he's, he created a lot of the specialized rules around rugby that was then later spun off into what is now American football. Didn't even know that, that American football was just, there's like a direct line from rugby to our version of football. I knew they were similar. Didn't know that rugby was the, was the
1: granddad. I didn't know that either. Wow. Out of Honestly, before we'd even started talking about the Skull and Bone Society, I could have told you that Paul Giamatti was one. (laughs) Just from looking at him and knowing what the Skull and Bone Society is, Paul Giamatti's one. So even if we don't believe the Geronimo skull and the grave robbing
0: thing, there is something more concerning about the icon than the skull and the bones. People get hung up on that because, you know... Poison, pirates, scary. Yeah. But underneath there is a three, two, and two. Ooh. And those three numbers are actually a lot scarier than the remains above them.
1: Ooh, say it again. Ooh. Three, two, two. Ooh.
0: So I checked three two two to see what area code that was, because if you've grown up listening to Southern rappers, You can, like, you hear three numbers and you just assume it's someone's area code and it's the way of, like, shouting out their hometown. Coming to you live
1: live from the 915. Correct. That kind of of thing.
0: 322, though, nowhere near Connecticut. Actually, that's an area code in Mexico, so not very likely to be that. It is thought, though, remember their goddess that they invented, probably as a joke, was Eulogia, the goddess of eloquence and speech. 322 is a significant date because in 322 BC, the Greek orator Demosthenes died. Wait, Demosthenes so- was an orator, which basically means he was just a public speaker, and he was also a lawyer and was considered to be a speaker without fault, like he was the pinnacle of public speaking. So for someone who, for a society that worships a goddess of eloquent speech— they also have the death of the historical actual person, Demosthenes, who is still considered one of the greatest speechwriters of all time. So quick question. These guys were hardcore nerds then, right? Probably. And we're going to get into that because I have a little game that can be that can be played with any secret society called Nefarious or Nerdy. Great. Excited for this round of Nefarious or Nerdy. Nefarious 322. Was a turning point in history when the democracy within Greece switched to a plutocracy. Yep, that's Pluto- No, that's nefarious because a plutocracy is something, is a society that is led exclusively by the wealthy. And your <laughs> merit is based on your wealth. Okay. And your power is based exclusively on your wealth. So you can see how this society that is producing lots of presidents, lots of... Like the the creator of FedEx, a lot of wealth is coming out of this group. And the date on their flag is historically considered the day that Greece turned towards a society that is ruled by wealth. So that's definitely you're nefarious. Li- yeah. When you're living in post-World War II America, you can see how that would be concerning. Yep. Yeah. However, nerdy. Every member is given a nickname based on classical literature.
1: Come oh, on. Oh, man, that's bad. That's not even cool nerdy. Like, I would love to give everybody a nickname based off of a science fiction spaceship. Like, I would love to be called the Nostromo, and that is cool, nerdy. Ancient literature nerdy, or classic literature nerdy, is just, ooh. And that's my boy, Ernest Hemingway,
0: over there. Oh, man. Nefarious. They're called the Skull and Bones, and they meet in a place called the Tomb. Nerdy. They're called the Skull and Bones, and they live
1: in a place called the Tomb. Yeah, I... I, I think this works as a pretty good Venn diagram here, (laughs) because as much as the democracy to plutocracy switch is a nefarious element, even focusing on that part of the government seems so hardcore nerdy to me. (laughs) Like I get that from a government standpoint, it's definitely nefarious from a, hey, we're a cool group of boys hanging out. That's a nerdy move
0: nefarious this tiny organization has produced three united states presidents nerdy two of them were george bush (laughs) yeah well
1: i have to give you that one gene nefarious
0: blamed for stealing the skull of geronimo by the descendants of geronimo as well as other priceless remains nerdy a key part of their quote-unquote intense hazing is telling your complete sexual history that's just hanging out with your boys. If that's hazing, then I severely doubt that they were doing that and grave robbing. There's a bit of a jump there. Or anything interesting. Like if if part of your cruel hazing process is like, how many people have you slept with? And it's like, damn, that psychological torture must have been intense.
1: Man, you went anyway, through the works. Because, I mean... Just watching Social Network and seeing that Eduardo Saverin had to keep a chicken alive for a month and keep it with him at all times for that month, that's hazing. (laughs) That's a real challenge. And where the two cross,
0: and maybe this is my thesis of the episode, the Venn diagram is that nerds have figured out something. They they figured this out forever ago. And that's that secrecy and the illusion of power is a power in and of itself, Mm. right? procedural cop dramas have proven that all you need to keep someone interested for an hour is to just not give them all the information at once. Usually the whodunit of like law and order SVU, it's not really complicated. The The truth is as pre, a pretty simple tale about someone be, like an aggravated assault or jealousy. And the intrigue just comes from how they uncover that because there is so much power in something in a, having information and not allowing someone else to know and being able to hoard that above someone
1: yeah i mean that's what in a sense you could say all entertainment is obviously there are elements of it that are different but me having the stranger things team for example having this story that they want to tell and me not knowing what that story is yet is how they get me to watch it and so they're holding that power above me and yeah Skull and Bones, in, in a concept, seems way more interesting than a boring literature-based fraternity. It does seem kind of like Scientology, though, where it gives you special powers. <laughs> My dog just fell down the stairs. <laughs> no, is he okay? If he's not, Shannon will take care of him. I think maybe he was running and ran into the wall.
0: What have we heard about Skull and Bones from the members themselves? Uh, very little, because they are pretty good at keeping their mouths shut. I'll give them that. When the power comes from the secrecy, the members, you need to have members that you can trust with that secret. Otherwise, the, the group has nothing. Mm-hmm. And there was a significant time for the Skull and Bone Society in 2004, because both of the presidential candidates were former members, aka lifelong members, lifelong bonesmen competing, like running against each other for the presidency, George Bush and John Kerry, both of which were casually asked about their time as bonesmen and asked what they could tell each other, and what they thought about running against a fellow bonesman. John Kerry simply responded, not much, because it's a secret. And what did, and Bush was the other one? Bush mentions it in his autobiography, saying, I think a total of one or two sentences. During my time at Yale, I joined the Skull and Bones, although I can't say much more, because it's a secret.
1: I get it. I definitely get it. I wanted to join the Nose Bros Society at Baylor, and I can never figure out how because it was a secret society.
0: So I guess the best way to wrap this up is to hear your conclusion. Nefarious or nerdy, Jackson?
1: I think that there's definitely some nefariousness to it. I think the idea that this society... There's more mystery that you're leaving me with that I like. The idea that this society has a lot of successful names in such a small group of people... But overall, everything I'm hearing about this society makes me think there is no way they did grave robbing between all of the freaking games the Settlers of Catan they were playing. (laughs) Well, if image really is everything, you got to check out the cover
0: of Burden of Proof by Glen Merle. Great album cover. Great music. Also, our theme song and outro. So thanks to him for letting us use that every week. Check it out at GlenMerleMusic.com or Spotify, iTunes, any place you stream and buy music.
1: And then if you want to follow us on our social media, we post there. Um, if anything weird is happening where we have to miss a week, which we hope shouldn't happen again for a while. But or we have to post an episode late because one of our houses power goes out, stuff like that. And all of that. And if you want to see what our new episode is going to be about, do that too. our Instagram is strictly confidential show. And our Twitter is s confident show. And if you want to reach out with news that we should pay attention to, or topics we should talk about, or words we've mispronounced, shoot us a message at uh, strictlyconfidentialshow at gmail.com. If you wanna be on the if you wanna be on the show, we'd
0: like to interview you. Bring us your conspiracy theories, your personal experiences with the paranormal, whatever you want to talk about that fits this show, we wanna to talk to you about it. And if you have a best friend, tell them to listen to this show. I hope you have a best friend. Everyone deserves a best friend. Mm-hmm. You guys probably have similar interests, so they'll like this show too. And word of mouth is the best way for this to grow. I think that's all we do. I think that's all we do. So until next time, I've been Asher. And I've been Jackson. And you've been listening to Strictly Confidential. And as always, keep digging. Oh, because
1: of the bones.